Hi, I'm Ari Stidham. You might know me from CBS The Scorpion or from me talking about Ari Stidham on the podcast all the time. This is the this is the actual guy. I'm a longtime listener. I've called in before. I've done, I've done a I've done a I've done one. Anyway, <laughs> we worked really hard on this show called Solo Must Die, a Star Wars musical parody. Uh, it's a complete reboot from when we did it live in 2018 it's got all your favorite mandalorian characters and 11 brand new songs hopefully jimmy can put a song underneath this so you oh, can yeah. hear how good it's it happening sounds. right now do you hear it pretty cool it's your favorite one the one yeah, you chose that's the one i like there it is may the 4th which is national star wars day is this tuesday it's only happening once and we worked really hard on it jimmy's hilarious in it he plays r2d2 I'm in it. A bunch of the best voices in Los Angeles and some of the funniest people we know. You will not be disappointed. I pinky, pinky promise. It's only 10 bucks. All the info is at solomustdie.com. Spelled how it sounds. S-O-L-O-M-U-S-T-D-I-E dot C-O-M. I'm Ari Stidham, and you're going to continue to listen to the interview. You're going to hear me talk. Okay, bye. And before we start the show today, I just want to give a shout out to our new friend, Judy Lynn, over at our Facebook page. Judy is involved in Maxim's Cover Girl Contest, and you can vote for her for free. We will put a link on our Facebook page and in the show notes here. Uh, I hope you uh, take the time to give Judy a vote. She's a good friend, and uh, we're hoping that she wins. And so remember, once again, go get your tickets right now over at solomustdie.com for the big show tomorrow night, presented by Flappers Comedy Club, created by our guest today and performed by a whole bunch of people that I really, really love. And today I am joined by the the creator, the mastermind behind the whole show, uh, funny man, uh, TV star. Uh, you know him from the show Scorpion, the show Huge before that. He's appeared on Insecure. He's appeared on The Fugitive. And so without further ado, let's get right into it. Here he is, the man, the myth, the legend. It's Ari Stidham. Are we finally ready to start? Live from the City of Roses. I thought this would be funny, but it's not. This is LAAF. Everyone thinks we're incompetent. With Ari Stidham. And another unsung blue-collar hero. Jimmy McCammon. Don't you sometimes hate yourself? Constantly. The old team together again. Oh. Nothing can stop us. See? This? You must have dreamed about this moment for a thousand times. Is LAAF. How'd you like it? Oh, I didn't. Thank you. I'm going to leave them the worst review. I love it, Pomona. And my favorite podcast, the only one I listen to. <laughs> it's actually the only the only one I listen to. <laughs> it's true, man. <laughs> Dab liquid and just a little bit of weed. Just a little bit of weed. Mostly it's finger hash. A little bit of weed and then dab liquid on, on all the ends. That's how you know. You want me to sing a song from Solo Must Die? Yeah. I guess that this is goodbye, but I'm no good at leaving, so I'll just say 
you're a heck of a guy. I hope our paths cross again one day. I know they almost got me. Even you thought they might. Han Solo might be lazy, but I show up to the fight. If Han Solo survived, sometimes just being... <laughs> I can't handle you being the hype man. Oh, man. Sometimes just I'm being... I'm only a little <laughs> off the beat. Sometimes just being present is enough to scooch by. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a special uh, it's a special supplemental edition of the LAAF podcast because we're doing Solo Must Die on May the fourth, and like May the fourth be with you. Do you get it? Yes, well, na- you get it. National Star Wars. Day. I'm I'm joined by Star Wars uh, Star Wars expert and entertainment entertainment and media expert Ari Stidham. Oh my God! Uh, well, it's true. I wouldn't say I'm a Star Wars expert. I'd say I'm I'm a fan oh. of Star Wars, and I call Adam Cagley the expert, who's like our resident expert, who I call every time I have a question. That's true. He yeah. took over the the uh, Solo Must Die Instagram the other day, and and actually took uh, questions. Was anyone able to stump him? Yeah, there were four questions that stumped him. They oh. each got a free ticket for the show. So I think I think it went well. If it were up to me. I think we would hire Adam to run that Instagram, but there's no money for that. The only question that I could think of when he was doing that that I've always that, that's always been a burning question in my mind was what is the little toaster that rolls around in the Death Star called? It looks like it's taking like faxes to people or something. Yeah, and it's it's pretty funny. It's got like the it's a funny droid. Yeah, it's, it's got yeah, it's got little squeaks that it does, and it yeah. gets scared. Like if you come at it with a lightsaber, you know, it gets yeah, it scared like and it runs away. It goes, oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that thing's called. It's I probably mean, letter letter dash number right. something like that. Yeah, you know, DN seven. Yeah, that's that's a DN seventeen. When you're doing those acronyms, though, you have to watch out because a lot of acronyms are like sex stuff. Like you can't call anything like the DP three or whatever because people whoa whoa see what I mean. That's when you try and fuck somebody's left ear. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> um. We're listening to... Am I not supposed to say the F word? No, <laughs> please say it. <laughs> say the fuck out of that word. You should know this is the only podcast you listen to. Yeah, this is true. I uh, This is the only podcast I listen to. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. Yeah, become codependent to one of the hosts. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I mean, you've heard the podcast, like, Without Grace. That's the same relationship I have with her. I'm like, come do the podcast, otherwise I can't do it. Safe, safe, safe. That's safety, that's safe. <laughs> Online at so www.langston.safe. Langston. Who the fuck? Uh, yeah, so we've been working on Solo Must Die together. We did, like, yeah, man. I mean, uh, I thought, you know, I'm a nerd, so, like, the process was really interesting to me, where, like, it's almost like animating real actors, where you're shooting everyone on green screen, you're putting them on a funny backdrop from from the uh, universe, and, uh, uh, you know, but... I don't know. Tell me about it because it ended up being like, that's a ton more work than so much more work. Well, (laughs) I'll start out by saying there's a musical called Bucket of Blood written by uh, the late Nick Flynn and uh, a gentleman named Dustin Wallen based on 
Bucket of Blood by Roger Corman, the film from 1959. Um, and that film was shot when the original Little Shop was shot. Same cast, same set by Roger Corman in 59. And somehow through friendships and professional connections, my dad owns that musical. So I've been helping him workshop it and do a lot of work on it for many years. Um, one of the things we did during the pandemic was a fully distant reading. And we had the idea when we were doing that to stylize it and have everybody on the same backdrop physically there. Um, and so he ended up buying a bunch of red fabric, bless him, um, to make the thing totally look uniform. When we did that, um, just to test something on my buddy Brad, who was there, his footage, I just used the key, yeah. the, the ultra key tool on Premiere while I was cutting it, just to see you know how far we could push it if I wanted to isolate him and put him somewhere. Yeah, you could put him wherever yeah. you want. And he had really good lighting, so we could, we could put him anywhere. And right. even, he even had a harsh shadow, but it's like it still worked with the harsh shadow because... You know, it's sort of a giving medium, this Zoom virtual stuff, right? It's pretty forgiving and giving. So, it, it, Because, like, it's gotten to the point where it can sense, you know, the foreground and put in a background, yeah. no matter, you know, you don't even have a green screen back there. Yeah, and for the comedy show, the Your Late Night Tonight, we did that a lot, too. There was an idea, right? A seed of an idea, which was the next thing I do after we did Bucket of Blood in... It's been a year, um, May last year. After I did that, I, I said, there's going to be a project I do like this that's socially distant. Hopefully it's a musical. Maybe it's a Shakespeare. Maybe it's a pilot I've written. Was the pandemic making that obvious too? Is it like, this is an obvious thing. This is an obvious option to do in pandemic times, right? This is LAAF. I mean, to really get into it, right? We do a lot of work with people, and it's like, be here at 3 p.m., but in L.A., like, people show up at 4. Yeah. You know? So... Traffic, man. Yeah. Traffic <laughs> and also, like... The culture. Yeah, the culture of what is this opportunity going to do for me, right? right? So, if you can give somebody a little bit of money, and they don't even have to learn their lines, right? They can just, like, show up, and you can feed it to them line by line. Even on songs, you yeah. know, I'm not going to throw anybody by name under the bus, but it's like, that's the type of stuff that we were able to do with a project like this, where commitment can be, yeah, I just need like three hours of your time on one day, and then I can shoot you out for the whole friggin' thing. Yeah, it's you scripted, know? but it cuts down all that prep time. Like, people probably don't understand how much like prep time actors need. Yeah. You know, like... Or just making it good, right? Like, communicating, like, yeah. how to make it good. Inserting little ideas and, like, crafting the performance, basically. If, you, if you've already forgiven, like, okay, cool, like, everybody's on green screen and everybody's doing it socially distanced, then you have this... You sort of, you've, you've already bought into the thing being different than a major motion picture, different than something on TV, so it becomes a new sort of art, right? To be like, how do I tell the story with limited cinematography, limited locations, graphics that I can find online or build? You know, a lot of a lot of things I had to build or like get permission from a 2005 YouTube video of somebody yeah. who did a 3D rendering of something. And what surprised me was the movement. Like, 
yeah. all the choices that are, you know, I've seen the rough cuts and stuff. And so like, um, and it, and it comes out on May 4th and, um, you can get it at, uh, uh, go to Flappers Comedy Club website, right? And buy the tickets or uh, go yeah. to solomustdie.com. Yeah, solomustdie.com yeah. takes you also to Flappers right. and also Solo Must Die. We have a, the, the opening number so you can see how the show opens. You can get the first basically three minutes of the whole show. Yeah, you'll see um, what I'm talking about yeah. with the, the animation movement of yeah. just like... Uh, we, we animated people in the Millennium Falcon to look like they're flying yeah. and, and <laughs> added like, you know, camera moves in post yeah yeah it's a little bit like it's a i think it's a wonderful nod to like um uh the money the early monty python animations well i mean they used yeah. them throughout which were really paper cut out animations yeah terry gilliam is a huge influence for us totally yeah. and it's like it's like um even uh even though it's 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 like in place of those paper cutouts that Monty Python used, we're using like live actors that are green screened out. And it has something of the same feel, but it's this, you know, it's this actual performance too that, you know. Yeah. And like Job of the Hut, you know, uh, when we did Solo Must Die Live in 2018, right? We we destroyed a sleeping bag in order to play Job of the Hut. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just something that I'm not trying to do for like three lines on a video. Right. You know? Right. So for the video, it's just a picture of the Lego job of the hut with my face superimposed, you know? That's great. And same with Grogu. It's like Grogu's got all of two lines and the guy who plays and plays a bunch of other parts. So like whenever you see him, it's like his face superimposed on the Lego version, you know? Yeah. But you, as R2-D2, <laughs> my man, you The steal, worst casting ever. You steal every moment. <laughs> That's really you, fun. You are, so, you're like a lot, I mean, I, I hate that. I had a great impression worked up, oh, like no. a spot on impression, right? But they made me go with this like bro thing, you know? And so I was like, like the, you know, the voice, you know, the voice is like beep, boop, 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 beep, you know? The one that we kept in is you, is you going, <laughs> oh yeah, wheeling around. That one was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Was and and you're, you know, when when Luke enters, you're right there with him. <laughs> but you know, you're looking around, you're chewing gum, <laughs> you're like playing the worst. <laughs> oh, oh, and let's talk about the costume design. Oh, because costume design yeah. by Jordan Stidham. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, he well in 2018, Jordan built all of our. He calls them garage sale aesthetic, right? I, I didn't coin that. He coined that. But Jordan had this beautiful vision <laughs> and execution back then of these really minimalist yeah. household objects. Yeah. You know, standing in for the Star Wars thing. So Vader's he helmet was a black bucket. Yeah, well Well, we did have a Vader mask yeah, at one Vader, point. Vader wore a real Vader mask. But then, then Han Solo dressed up as but, Vader. Yeah, yeah. In twenty eighteen there was a moment where Han Solo <laughs> pretended to be Darth Vader and tricked everybody. And he did it by wearing a a black bucket on his head. Um, yeah, like, I, I think it's more Jar Jar Binks is a hat with yeah. two toilet roll papers and yeah, then yeah. styrofoam eyes that are painted correctly on top, right? Um, or Leia, we have Rogue One Leia 
instead of having Leia in, you know, robes or anything that she would really be wearing. The poorly CGI'd, like, can't really buy it, Rogue One Leia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the last moment of Rogue One. <laughs> the person who plays that, you know, wears earmuffs. They're like the Leia earmuffs that you can get. So, and a white bathrobe. And we repurposed that white bathrobe for R2's character as well. And R2 yeah, on his yeah. head wears <laughs> a salad bowl upside down, yeah. with, which has been taped meticulously by Jordan in 2018 with blue duct tape and black marker yeah, to yeah. be drawn to look very similar to R2-D2. It's convincing. It, it doesn't, having worn it, it's not designed to like stay on the head like perfectly no, straight it's, it's designed to sort of move around yeah so, so he, that the actor sort of creates some movement out of that too yeah and you you wore a baseball cap beneath it yeah yeah which was very smart i thought yeah because and, I, and i chewed gum because i figured art too would chew gum and it was i mean look the social media posts that we did <laughs> of that supercut of your bloopers um I mean, if if I ever release the full fucking six minute take, you're gonna see the one of the best moments that we've ever had making stuff in this house, which was <laughs> you and I. We had to stop in the middle of the take because you did beep boop 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 a woo, and the way you did it, we both just like died. Shooting like shooting with like John Ryan, who we worked with before in the theater, uh, who did the original Solo Must Die, the um, the stage play over in Hollywood, and, uh, and like uh, 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 Zach Green, Zach Jordan. Green, Jordan, we like spent half the time Laugh. laughing our asses off. Yeah, it's like. Because the jokes, you know, it. That's what I like about it too. Is like even last time around, this time around, the jokes and and everything like that. It's kind of like if you love Star Wars and really revere it, like uh, it's it'll be funny to you and and enjoyable uh, to to see them kind of sent up in this aesthetic. But also, if you like have had enough of Star Wars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or if you're like one of these people that's like, you know, I don't know about these new Disney properties or whatever, you know, like I felt like that a little bit for a minute. And and for those people, there's a ton in the show, too. Hey, know? look, it's a it's a really toxic fan base. I think it's the most toxic fan base that exists. What do you mean by that? Like they're protective of the IP? They're no, they're divided and oh. and angry at each other oh. for, for liking things that one part doesn't like, and so like the three films no one likes that everyone's mad at and had Jar Jar Binks in them, right? Well, see, but here's the deal, right? There's a whole bunch of people who like those three. I was in elementary school when they came out, right? Yeah. So it was like for me, I was like, I got to be cool and say that they sucked, right? Right. But. I still had the experience of seeing Star Wars in the theater and I still fall asleep watching the Phantom Menace because it's about political shit, geopolitical shit. And I'm astounded There's- at the racism in that movie. Oh. That, that movie is so <laughs> racist because all of the leaders, I forget the, the, the species of alien that they are, but they just have thick offensive, accents from from Asian countries and there's even moments where they like do guttural sounds yeah, yeah. that are like literally making fun of how 
people speak, how a language sounds. Right, right. You know? Sounds that are, yeah, yeah, yeah intrinsic like, to a language. Exactly. Yeah. And I think <laughs> something as important and international as Star Wars, because it is international, they shoot the thing and conceived of it in the UK. And their, and their market is truly international, too. They're one of the biggest franchises ever. Yeah. It's like, can we not do that? Or Jar Jar Binks. Like, I think Jar Jar Binks is silly and crazy, but it's racist. Like, at, at its core, people have a problem with it because it's racism. But it's couched in this, oh, it's an alien, so I can do whatever. But it's like, it's an alien, but you're choosing the, stereotypes from human beings. Yeah, it's a real accent from somewhere. And you can't really... I mean, I have a hard time putting my finger on, on it, but like... I know general the neighborhood of where it's coming from. Yeah. It's not like the original movies where the aliens had voices that were that were alien, you know, or like at the very worst like animal, you know? Like I can't there's a few. There's a few in the original movies. Sure. I think I think if you're going if you're <laughs> going to offenders. I think if you're going to have an alien speak with an accent, it shouldn't be detectable, right? Yeah. If you're going to have them speak in an accent, it should be spoken in a language and be subtitled, you know? But that's just my opinion. I, I don't think that's, like, a hard, fast rule. And, like, why the fuck would anybody listen to me? I just lied and said I liked The Last Jedi for so long, you know? Because so many, cause I'm from Hollywood and so many of my friends are, like, woke. And it's, like, woke to like The Last Jedi. I think that movie... On a scale of Ryan Johnson movies, it's at the bottom, right? Out of all of his movies, all of his movies are better than The Last Jedi. So in his catalog, it doesn't it doesn't reach even close to the top, in my opinion, right? And then you look at him in the Star Wars franchise. Is it the most original of a movie in a trilogy? Yes. So it wins the most original award. But pretty much everything else, is it a good second movie? No. Right. Does it actually honor the series the way that those like big fucking huge movies are supposed to? No. Do the plot elements stand up in a way to the other ones that you go, okay, this was a story that I enjoyed watching? For me personally, no. And if that's the only thing out of the three that, like, I disagree with people on, then great. But it seems like people who really love The Last Jedi agree. It's not Ryan Johnson's best. It's definitely not a good second movie. But they enjoy it as a movie because what it does is it challenges what has been set up. I posit that if your movie challenges what has been set up, it should be a standalone or the first of a, of a trilogy. It shouldn't be the second. And, and I think that's my main problem with The Last Jedi because what it did was sealed the fate of the third film because instead of doing something even more different with Colin Trevorrow, they got scared because the second film was so polarizing. And when you polarize a fan base like that, it's like hard, it's hard for me to say it's a toxic fan base when it's like they, they were split in half. Yeah. They were split in half. They had two... I mean, people were making two different movies. You know, two different... It was almost two different universes, two different, you know... Yeah, well, and I think... That's what I think the tentpole films need to be. And I don't want to say J.J. Abrams' work... I don't want to, like, make it like it's for kids, but that movie was for kids, The Force Awakens. 
You know, it had adult themes, but that movie was for kids. The Last Jedi is not. It, you like see people sucking on a on like a blue milk tit. You know what I mean? Like you see like shirtless. It, there's like sexual overtones, and there's like the movie itself handles themes that Star Wars handles, but it handles it in the way Ryan Johnson would handle it as a filmmaker, which is great if it's a standalone Star Wars film. Do whatever you want. Take us anywhere. But if you're playing with the characters that we're supposed to be watching, we're supposed to be treating them like they're Luke Skywalker. It's literally fucking Luke Skywalker and Chewbacca. Then, like, you can't be as creative, right? It's you, you can't expect people to react well and only well when what you're literally doing is ruffling feathers and decide, decidedly so. Like inventing is is off limits in most of the process, basically. Like you just don't invent; you deal with what is, and that it's like all across all like disciplines and art forms and and everything. Like like inventing is its own thing and should be reserved for certain times. And like and so when you do that, you're saying you're saying like nah, like we're making a new thing. You well, know. well, expand the universe, like what Rogue One did, or what Mandalorians do. Mandalorian people, yeah. Well, and, and, I, <laughs> and I think that's, I think that's to to get really to the point of what works in Star Wars and what doesn't. You know, in my opinion, right? Because it's just my stupid opinion. Um, I think what works in Star Wars is up to Star Wars. You know, it's canon now. Last Jedi. It's yeah. canon now. Yeah, you you have to look. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. So, but what you're saying is you what have it to, is now is different than what it used to be. So the ideal, yeah, right, that I hold for it is like almost now puritanical because it was just like the first version. Right. And so, why no, I'm happy Mandal- for the Mandalor- why I'm happy for the Mandalorian <laughs> yeah. is because so many people, even people who I was in Solo Must Die with, you know, basically accused me of not wanting to see a movie about oppressed people, you know? Because that's what they felt Last Jedi was. And I just... I, I don't think they treated their characters... I just don't think they treated their characters like how they deserve to be treated. Whereas, like, The Mandalorian has... Just... It, it, it has enough of all of it. New, enough. New shit. Yeah. Old shit. And then stuff right, that stuff invents, that's like but not super too much. super duper fan shit, right? Yeah, right. So if you if you watch the cartoons, you like or the animated series. Sorry for calling it a cartoon. If you watch the animated series like Clone Wars, you know what to exp- you know who the people are. So those people get more out of it, which at its core is like Star Wars is like supposed to be like Tolkien in my in like in my head. It's supposed to be this thing that. It belongs to a lot of people because it's so deep and the knowledge that you have of how the world works, it's up to you how deep you want to go into it, you know? That's why I was like, I was saying the parody uh, structure of it works so well for both, you know, both fans and people who have grown tired of it because because the source material is so rich, you know, you can pop in like with I a w- character with one line and yeah. like it's a reference everybody in the world gets even <laughs> you know Star Wars fan or not yeah. yeah well and I also think people who like the who is Solo Must Die For it's for people who really like The Mandalorian yeah it, I, 
if you're watching it because you want to see Kylo Ren and you want to see all those characters, I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm just saying this isn't this isn't that part of Star Wars. Right. This is the part of Star Wars where if you like watching The Mandalorian, if you liked Rogue One, you're really gonna like Solo. You're like it's. it's I believe Solo Must Die is the type of story that if the Solo movie was something that people really enjoyed and could get behind, it would be something like this. You know, ours is silly, but the structure of it, I believe, could work as a film. Yeah, it's got this um, also element of like, it's a whole new play than the last time. It's a whole new show than the last time we did it because we've got new characters. We've got new characters in the universe. We've got new things that happened. Grogu happened, you know, we have to make fun of that and like have fun with that. Well, also, I I listened. And Boba Fett. Boba Fett was in our other one, but I listened. I think that's not, not to like toot. I'm not trying to toot my horn. I'm just trying to like say what the fucking show is, right? We got eviscerated by the LA Times when we did our show in 2018. Oh, yeah. Well, and we when had you a- Google Solo Must Die, it's still one of the top things that pops up. And I think it's the best thing that could have happened because now what I'm providing is not iffy, right? Oh, I hit the mic. What I'm providing is not iffy. Before, we were providing something that we were like, well... Just take it at face value. Like, you know, if you're going to be negative about our show, then like we don't want you to see it, which uh, it, it works for a parody musical. I understand. Yeah. But what we had done, well, right? Well, to me also, that was a reviewer who we, just didn't like comedy. We put original <laughs> characters on stage that we came up with, right? Oh, it, yeah. And it was a completely different creative team. It wasn't one unified vision. Like this one, a lot of people helped, but I wrote everything. Yeah. And and that's talk about solo. It was edited, written, uh, scored, uh, shot, uh, like all in one room in your studio at your house. <laughs> yeah, it was like a solo venture. I mean, all of us, you know, uh, there was a whole cast. Everybody, you know, helped. But like in terms of of crafting the thing into what the original script says it is, like that was all on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book, music, lyrics, direction, editing. Those are the, and then you know it sort of goes without saying, producing because I also paid I paid for it. But yeah. like I think the the opposite of it, or not opposite. The other side of it is, you know, the people who came back. Jordan co-wrote the book last time, right? This time he gave me a couple notes, had a couple cool ideas, but he didn't dive in. You know, I decided to take on composing completely this time on my own. And then I brought Lewis Ramsey in to sweeten like a couple of the songs, like the opening number. He added a lot of he added a lot of help too. Um, Space Boston, he helped clean up. And uh, what was his third one? Oh, please call Luke, which was based on Eye of the Vulture that he and I co-wrote for um, Edgar Allan Show. Oh yeah. So those three songs, technically, I co-composed with him. But I, you know, I wrote all the lyrics, I wrote all the melodies, and he has, we, we've split the credit in a different way. In the film and in all the recordings, he's getting all that credit, but as far as like book music lyrics, like that stuff, that's not part well, of the and And that's, that all has to do as well with like the updatability, the tour ability, you know, and the fact that like the... Yeah, the track's not the music. Well, and also the kind of that, like the animated version, you know, that was done on green screen here, you know, is 
is only the only the first iteration of what should be a kind of more of a live touring show eventually. Yeah, I mean the hope is that we can at least have something going monthly or bi-monthly, right? So we can update it with stuff from the Bad Batch, with stuff from the Book of Boba Fett. You know, Ryan Johnson's apparently got a new trilogy. I'm sure there's going to be something in there that I can use. You know, yeah, uh, I'd like to. I'd like to focus on Darth Maul. I'd like to also structure the show differently. Right now, it's like two fans of the show, or sorry, three fans of the show reading it. Um, the reading first, a fanfic. Yeah, reading a fan fiction. Yeah. Uh, there's a new sleeve that I'd like to try, which puts it in the st- puts the storytellers in the SWECU, so you can feel. From the beginning, like you're on Tatooine with like with a group of traveling storytellers. They you live know? in the universe. They the storytellers live in the universe and yeah. they're telling tall tales of the people that they are. They characters or are they themselves? They are. They are char- they're, they're actors in the Star Wars. Yeah, universe. yeah, that, yeah. That would be you fun. Know, they're a theater group on Tatooine. Yeah, your brother was involved in something like this. I have to mention because it was uh, Game of Thrones, the musical, you know. And when that yeah. was going on, Thrones and there was the a new musical. episode every week, you know, it's like I always thought, man, it must be, it, it must be tempting and almost impossible not to like rewrite the show every week, you know. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't a part of the the creative process for that show, but I know I'm a I'm a fan of the people who made it. Yeah. It's weird. It's like a lot of a lot of people think we're post satire with film because it's like, what are you gonna say? My movie's stupid and unrealistic. It's like, yeah, yeah, I made it that way because that's the only way you can get people to come see the movie. It's about a superhero. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's about King Kong fighting Godzilla. It's the most insane thing <laughs> yes. a movie can be about. How are we gonna make fun of it? And eventually, you find the way to do it, of course. But it's like, I think with Star Wars. Why I'm drawn to doing parody with Star Wars, right? Why I haven't really been drawn to finish a parody of anything else is exactly what we were talking about. There's a way to appreciate it yeah. without taking it down. Yeah. You know? And I know I feel like I know how to do that with Star Wars mainly because I genuinely like it as a franchise. Right. I don't like the films as a whole. I like the franchise. Yeah. I like the world building and the possibility, right? Yeah. So the the hope is that I could do something with the franchise. I know like that's such a pipe pie in the sky dream, but I it's think not you, because Mandalorian, think, you know, had all these great guest directors and for me that was a, a home run. Like yeah. I don't know if it was for other viewers, but like for me I was like I loved seeing director signatures in specific episodes of that, you know? And yeah. yeah, I think that the more genuinely enthusiastic artists that get their hands on a piece of that franchise you know, the better it will do. You know, maybe it's a long shot or a risk or whatever for Disney or for the company or for the IP or whatever it is. But like, that is the, that's the structure going forward, you know? And so, so, so I don't, you know, I don't think that idea is like, no, they, they greenlit so many things just to see what the fans would say about all the things they greenlit, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's so smart how they do it, but it doesn't feel good to be a Star Wars fan all the time. 
No, you got to wait for Mandalorian, basically. Well, I do. That's and then the, that's, that's the thing I want to see. I'm going to watch the Bad Batch. I'm going to watch every episode of the Bad Batch. I'm probably going to watch an episode of the Bad Batch before we do our show. When's that come out? On May 4th. Oh, wow. Oh. We're I competing with them. The play bucket of blood. Jesus Christ, I'm the worst. <laughs> this is the, awesome. The play bucket of blood, right? We looked at it and said, oh my God, we have a pr- something better than a regional theater doing our play. We have a premiere profile. Of it being performed. And if we want to recast, we just got to get that guy for a couple hours. If we want to sweeten, we just got to hire a couple vocalists for a couple hours. Hey, if we want to release this as an album, we just got to call the actors and offer them new contracts. It's all here. You have the source material. The material is already there. The content's already there. It's created. You know, right now, we can't put it out. It's not ready to be put out, but... Say say there, like, is, say there is a regional theater that wants to do it, right? Yeah. But we know that it's not going to be... Did you listen to albums of like play musicals? <clears throat> of course. That's I listened how, to an so album many. of like Phantom of the Opera and uh, the Monty Python musical and like... It's been a lot. Yeah. yeah. I just listened to these albums. Yeah, they rock. You have that. Well, see, that's... It's like completed. Sure. Well, Bucket of Blood, I don't know. It's not my musical. I've just been helping, right? But the, that asset, building that asset and having something provisionary that's not an actual production, but is also not a feature film, right? Something that you can show other creatives, you can show people, potential investors, other producers. This is the type of tool that a lot of storytellers never put the time in to make because it's not cost effective because they're like if I'm going to tell my story I might as well spend the money that it'll take to actually make the movie not many people make it just on an iPhone to see like how it'll be right yeah now you can with anything and I think it's specifically with with a musical that's like a comedy and it's also a parody something about doing solo with green screen and not putting everybody on like a black curtain which is sort of what I thought about doing before it's created a lot more work but it works for what solo is, you know. Yeah, it like really helps the parody element because and if it's you comedy. Need, and if you needed to add or switch out actors or whatever, like you have this movie for them to watch and become familiar with what with what the role is or whatever, you know. Well, and any update to the any update to the show, right? You hear that cast? <laughs> no, but no, but any update to the, the show, right? Yeah. Is is a phone call to the people who've been playing the part? Yeah. I, and I was thinking, like, you know, I'm playing Mandalorian on the 4th, but if we ever do a, a live performance of it, I, I I think the guy who tells the story should play the Mandalorian, you know, which is John Ryan Benavides. So part of me is like, well, let's get him back in here and just have him do it, because it'll take him a couple hours, but, like, let's just get him doing it. He's already in the fucking movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then if you do it live, the press for the clips... Right? It's not necessarily so we can release this. I'm calling it the movie because I don't know what else to call it, but this Zoom presentation, right? Yeah. I'm not going to release that for money if I can sell tickets to doing it live. That's why I wrote it. I wrote it to be a, a live musical. I didn't write it to be a movie or a Zoom presentation through clip art. Like, I, I like what we have, I'm really proud of it. 
but I want to be doing it live. I want to make sure the actors are employed and my plays being done. You know, that's the whole point. Yeah. This part of this whole like awesome strategy everyone's putting together to like come back after this, uh, this bullshit coronavirus, (laughs) you know, like the theaters need to be back, but they need content, you know, so they need you now. Exciting is hardly the word I would choose. Well, there's one more thing, but I feel icky about it, so I'll sing it. Whoever put the bounty out didn't want somebody who just <laughs> like like there was a roaring twenties coming off of another uh, pandemic in American history, and like this the same thing happened. Everybody went out, everybody partied, everybody drank, everybody was like, you know, I think. I don't know. I hope something like that happens again. But like the interactivity of what our world is, is it going to lead itself to traditional theater or modern theater? I think that's that's what I'm trying to answer with parody. It's so crowded out there. I got to believe that it is. You know, I got to believe that everybody's so hungry. We'll see. You know, I, I certainly hope so. We're we're doing Mauritius, yeah. you know, uh, in my in my front yard come September. Yeah. And I think that's like the the other side of it is that's real ass theater and I I know I can't risk renting a real theater to put on that show. Yeah. I ha- I have to do it for a very small audience in my front yard. It's such a small but a great show. Like but that's the only way I know how to do it in Los Angeles and actually get people to give a shit about it. Oh, so we we haven't said who who else is in Solo Must Die. Solo Must Die, starring John Ryan Benavides as Ah, we Boba talked Fett. about him. Everybody knows about him. Zach Green. Ah, as we C-3PO. mentioned him. Everybody remembers. Jordan Stidham as Luke Skywalker. Okay, that guy. Sure, put in a plug for your brother. Jimmy, I'm talking about Jimmy McCammon as R2D2. Hey. Host of the LAAF podcast. That's everybody. true. <laughs> R2-D2. Uh, Ari Stidham is the Mandalorian. Yeah. J. Elijah Cho. LAAF as Han co-host. S- uh, today. J. Elijah Cho as Han Solo. Uh, Adam Cagley as Chewbacca. Oh, in an epic performance. Yeah. Yeah. Emmy Ross as Fennec Shand. Yeah. Um, Cash Abdul-Malik as Grief Karga. Uh... You know who I'm saving for last? K one. Oh my God, Keenan Montgomery the first as Lando returning. Everybody's favorite. I mean, (laughs) truly, every every person who's seen has been like that. Lando man, he's he's literally perfect. He is. He really is. Edible. Leia is played by Catherine McDonough. Who, if you're in LA and you like theater, you know who Catherine McDonough is. She's she's been in like all of the big classics. I. For the past like seven years, like I, I don't, I can't think of a show like a My Fair Lady going up where she wasn't playing Doolittle. Is there a is there a company or a theater that she that she performs at more? I don't know. I I she was in Ragtime at Pasadena Playhouse. I think the last play she did pre pandemic was The Music Man in Thousand Oaks with Adam Pascal, where she played Marion and Adam Pascal played The Music Man. Right. Um, but. You know, she performs all over. She's got one of the greatest voices in Los Angeles. I hope she never leaves. So she's wow. When she was in here singing, she just blew me away. Her voice is incredible. Yeah. Um, And then our Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. Jenna Bird, who 
if you don't know who Jenna Bird is, you are fucking, you are wrong and you are asleep. No more adventures. But everybody that do it that did it knew what fun it would be, knew that it was, you know, a, a minimal commitment, but the perfect thing, like, for them. Like, everybody was so good at playing, like, their character, you know, their way, and that they could just bring what they brought to it in the first take, you know. And then we played with it, and we played with people, and I don't think anybody had to... You know, had to commit more time than 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 felt good or was fun. You know, and it oh, was cool. Oh, for sure. I Except for you, <laughs> you had to pull all the all nighters and edit the thing. So, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, man, it's worth it. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed it. It's brought me so much joy creating this. There's just something to the fandom, you know, where there's too much toxicity and there's too much people not getting along that to me that's so, just a new pocket of it though you know yeah something to, like to this me, to the be, real fandom to be is a part genuine. of it yeah well that's what i'm saying to be a part of that right yeah where it's something that can unify and something that all of us can get behind i think star wars really means something to people yeah you know and it's um, surprising to me how much it means to young people you know, as a 42-year-old dude who also was obsessed with Star Wars as like a teenage boy and then growing up and learning stagecraft and learning filmmaking, you know, like the, the, the idea that it can be as impactful, you know, like Mandalorian and the, the more recent movies and then they dive deep and go back and watch the original movies too. These, you know, 15, 16, fucking 10, 11-year-olds do. Yeah. And it's like... The idea that it can be that inspirational to so many generations is like people are driven, like Favreau is driven, I think, to treat it with with due respect, you know? And like, I don't, sure, I don't approve of everything, eggs, um, that, <laughs> you know, that comes up in that series. And I maybe sometimes I wish it could have more edge and like, blah, blah, blah. I have my notes on it too, but it's More like, edge, less egg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Look, <laughs> but he's doing it justice. You know, he's like doing. He's doing as good as anyone anyone I, could who's not Lucas. Sure. At thirty five or whatever so, yeah. how old he was. Well, I have no idea how much <laughs> how much creative control he has. I don't know what how much Dave Filoni gives over. Right. I I I assume that there's a battle happening within John Favreau, just because as a creative person, I feel it a lot where. I want to do what the fuck I want to do. Yeah. Cuz this is my role. Yeah. Right? So I'm I'm going to write it and then you guys are going to say cool. Right? But then there's always like the adjustment to reality yeah, which you is gotta that give, it is not my money, you yeah, know. Yeah, you got to negotiate, you got to give in on some things. Favreau made a show about two toys. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. Mandalorian's an action figure and Baby Yoda is a little plushy, you know? And somehow we give a shit because of the humanity that he used. A main character whose eyes you never see. I don't know if that's, I suppose that's probably been done here or there, but probably, I don't know how successful it's ever been. No. You, like, you, you never, have to see a person's eyes. Like, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, your eyes, giving your eyes to the camera is like a whole thing. And he's able to connect, Pedro Pascal. And it's because of the storytelling and it's because of 
fam- like familiar, right? We're familiar with a story like this, and we're familiar with the characters. It feels like a story you know. It feels like a story you've heard. Well, and no transgressions have been done. You know, like, yeah, I can see when you're inventing. Yeah, I can see when the Disney producers gave you a note. You know, I could totally tell when that happened. But, but no, but, but no all human, in all, you're being true. But you no, know, which, but, but no human character hangs out long enough to have you decide if they're a good or bad person. No, they just functional to the story, which is yeah. very Star Warsy. Yeah, the only person who's like really good is Pelimato. I think she's the only character in Mandalorian where it's like, this is a good person, you know? I feel like Mando, it works because you're like, oh yeah, he's been on, he's worked for the Empire on the other side of it because he's completely displaced. And so you're following an outlaw, right? But he's an outlaw and he's marginalized and he's orphaned. He's like all of these things. And he's a super soul. C-3PO is the more one of the moral like figures. <laughs> Protocol and 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 what's it called? Uh, yeah, uh, having played a character that was basically C three PO for four years on Scorpion, yeah. I I can tell you, like they they cut to him to manipulate the audience. It's either storytelling. Yeah, he needs to be like, there's eight minutes left. But he's always trying to do the right thing. Yeah, nobody is happy in their position in Star no. Wars. No, yeah, that's why like the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda relationship is so important because Han? it's like. No, Han and Chewie were always on the run. <laughs> and always after money. Dude, those guys fucking sold drugs. Let's talk about it. Yeah, that's Let's true. talk about it. Smuggler. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think it's valuable to smuggle? Yeah, drugs aren't really addressed in the Star Wars universe It's all either. outside of the And story. how many people have gotten on drugs and watched Star Wars? All of them. Which I think people are, are swinging and missing a lot trying to be Kubrick right now. Oh. We're like trying to make art that like visually astounds and is like pushing yeah. the boundaries. He he is celluloid and like lensing to do it though, and like production design. These people are using computers, and it's like you don't stand a chance. Son. He used glass and psychology. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. like. And he was so vehemently anti-religion. But look at the production design in that 2001 inside of the spaceship. It's just like... <sighs> and can you believe the year that was? No! Yeah. And I think that when I say Flash Gordon or Land of the Lost, it's like, that's the pendulum, right? You have something that... They'll treat it with the respect of Kubrick, right? Or Star Wars or any of these Blade Runner style... St- where style... And how the film looks and feels is like number one, even before like plot, you know, or good dialogue or anything. And then like the content of what you're shooting, right, is never going to be saying something the way that 2001 is saying something. And it's also never going to be like just popcorny, like Land of the Lost, because so much stuff already exists that's like this. Yeah. It's like the movie Ex Machina. I was talking to... It's trying to be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody about it, and they were like, well, it's just literally handling the same themes as Blade Runner with less money. Yeah. And I was like, I I guess, but... And these modern, like, I don't know. 
I fucking <laughs> love you modern tropes. I fucking adored that film. I thought Ex it was Machina? Yeah, I thought it was one of the best movies that came out that year. It's I, pretty great. I adored it. But, but it's like But but it's like when you look at what's been made, right? All we're doing is distillation, distillation, dis- distillation. Yeah. Or remixing now. Like Yeah. Nobody's doing what Kubrick did. And nobody could do it because it would cost too much money now. Somebody'll do something that's well, that's that. You know, but it's not it's not happening. There's yet such a science there's such a science to making that look happen yeah. that it's already been done. So the rivulets to get there, right? No, to do it they in think, camera would cost a bagillion dollars right now. And like and, people don't know that. And doing it on film to get f- dude and another then good billion. Tre- treating the film to make the whites look like that. That you need brighter lights inside your fucking projector. You couldn't to make, make it look the way it's supposed to look. Yeah, there's well, dude, there's in there's insane technology. Tarantino and everybody move, else would go at you for that too. Yeah. Well, technology moving in tandem with filmmaking until the five D, and then capitalism became more a part of it. Right, and I think no people stop treating it as an art form. Exactly, man. like it's no longer an art form. You know, like communi- fuck communism and everything, but all the great a bunch of great developments of filmmaking happened because it was being done like in places like Russia that were fucking communist. So there was a bunch of public money for such things. You know, even if your art form was something so lowly as filmmaking. You could maybe get a little bit of money, like in a grant or a public money, for it. But just get this, right? So developments were made. If you it, you ran a community theater in Grass Valley, yeah. Do you talk about that on LAF? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you were doing theater up there, you had a group of people who knew you, knew what you guys were about, were interested, right? Yeah. Even if it's 13 people, I don't know what the numbers were, but I'm sure it was more than 13. But it's at least 15. Great. At least 15. Yeah. You know, my my email list is a couple hundred people long, right? Right. It's not huge, but the couple hundred people are the people who buy my album. Yes. Who show up, right? Yes. So those are the people. So if I have those people and I say, I'm not doing plays, I'm doing movies, will they watch the movies or were they just into going to the theater, you know? Yeah, they were, maybe a bunch they, of them like liked you, yeah. and were you know that's a that's yeah. part of it. So like that is the part of the conversation that splits what would be cultivation, yeah, right? right? Yeah, cultivation is nobody has to take, like me taking somebody <laughs> who's yeah. here because we're selling coffee, yeah, and they stay because we got cookies, and we're a bakery. interested in the thing that's going to make them come out and how do you get them interested in you by doing anything but what you're doing because if you're like well you know me from plays so then come do movies it's like well hold on i'm here because i like plays and you're yeah. good at doing plays it's like oh fuck well yeah, right okay but i also think what's happening now is people who would start community theater people who would join in and jump into an art form like that who would aspire to do anything like that they now look at YouTube and podcasting. If you define your thing clearly, I it is a long-form Star Wars parody musical. I'm not going to disco fans. 
I'm not going to hip hop fans. I'm not going to hashtag beatmaker. Because between musical theater and Star Wars people, we've covered everyone we know, everyone we hang out with, everyone we like, and a million more people who could see the show and, uh, and we know we'll love it. What's well, a place to start? It's, it's the place to start, right? Yeah. For Mauritius, I got a name of the author and I got stamps. <laughs> you mean you Mauritius? You mean Mauritius by Teresa Rebeck? Teresa Rebeck. That's what I. I'm sorry. Teresa Rebeck. Uh, the one dollar per month Patreon sponsors all go and get speech there. Teresa Rebeck. And we want to leave people titillated about the solo must die. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Ari Stidham. You might know me from CBS's Scorpion or from me talking about Ari Stidham on the podcast all the time. This is the this is the actual guy. I'm a longtime listener. I've called in before. I've, I've done a I've done a I've done one. Anyway, <laughs> we worked really hard on this show called Solo Must Die, a Star Wars musical parody. Uh, it's a complete reboot from when we did it live in 2018. It's got all your favorite Mandalorian characters and 11 brand new songs. Hopefully Jimmy can put a song underneath this so you oh, can yeah. hear how good it's it sounds. happening right now. Do you hear it? Pretty cool. It's your favorite one, the one yeah. you chose. That's the one I like. There it is. May the 4th, which is National Star Wars Day, is this Tuesday. It's only happening once, and we worked really hard on it. Jimmy's hilarious in it. He plays R2-D2. I'm in it. A bunch of the best voices in Los Angeles and some of the funniest people we know. You will not be disappointed. I pinky, pinky promise. It's only 10 bucks. All the info is at solomustdie.com. Spelled how it sounds. S-O-L-O-M-U-S-T-D-I-E dot C-O-M. That's how I stood him from TV. <laughs> oh, that was that was shitty. I fucked that up. That was no, that was bad. <laughs> oh yeah, and oh yeah, and go to our Facebook page, and I'll post uh, for our new friend uh, Judy Lynn, who's trying to win the Maxim Cover Girl contest. Judy Lynn, she supports the uh, she supports the LAF podcast, and we support her. And uh, she's buddies with uh, you know Granddaddy Jeff Wong, okay, the cool. very first. Jeff Wong is the very first LAAF Patreon subscriber. Hey, Jeff Wong. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. Granddaddy. Um, but yeah, vote for Judy Lynn, Maxim Cover Girl, official smoke show. To take down this swine, revenge will be mine. Han Solo must die. It's nearly time to take down this swine. Revenge will be mine. I'm so numb.